politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight as if our lives, liberty, property, and all that matters is on the line because it truly is here at CR Podcast. It is Thursday, the first month, first day of June, which has been hijacked for the Rainbow Ramadan, where we have a national religion promoting sin, licentiousness, disgustingness. But here we always have family pride, patriot pride, fidelity pride. Um, here's, here's where we're at, okay? It's been a busy week, but here's where we're at. On the one hand, we have never faced so many existential crises to our way of life, our economy, our bodies, our religion, our minds, our souls, our children. And we're going to talk about some of these things with the nexus between mental illness, autism, and transgenderism, and vaccines, all kind of loosely tying together we're going to have on Dr. Peter McCullough coming up soon. But to tie into the whole debt ceiling, adultery, betrayal, Trump actually saying he doesn't care about it, like every other important issue, and everything we're at. On the one hand, we're, we face this onslaught. On the other hand, there is this budding, bottom-up movement. I think we are seeing some degree of backlash. People did call their congressmen. We are seeing the boycotts against the Rainbow Jihad be more successful than they've ever been. But here's where the rubber meets the road. We do not have, at a leadership level, a movement at a leadership level, to connect the dots, to connect the fire, and put that lead down range to where the target needs to be. See, ultimately, we face a crisis of truth. That no matter what comes out, and more information is coming out, exposing the debt ceiling thing was a fraud, the COVID stuff was a fraud, the vaccines were dangerous as hell. But the policies don't change. It's like, no, there, there's no way. We're all looking at this debt deal, and, and it got worse every day the more we found out about it. There's no way. I mean, there's going to be a wholesale rebellion. But less than a third of the Republicans voted against it. They got what they wanted, even though more Democrats actually supported it than Republicans, which is all we need to know. But nothing changes. And this is what I saw yesterday when I saw the headline, it was kind of washed away in the news cycle, that the FDA gave full approval to Pfizer's RSV shot. And I'm thinking, after everything we know about what Pfizer did, never has a private company been so empowered by government to commit such an atrocity against life and liberty in its most literal sense. And yet, they could come along with a new trial. Oh, it's 67 to 85% effective against RSV. Here's another shot for you. Knowing that there's nothing we can do to stop it. Just like the debt ceiling betrayals, like, come on, Kevin McCarthy cannot get away with that. Yeah, he can. Because we don't have a serious movement with a serious leader. As we see, we have this guy writing these psychotic screeds about DeSantis' name every day. He sounds like a retard. 
So we don't have a critical mass. We don't have the Sons of Liberty. We don't have a Sam Adams. We have a bunch of vaccine-injured retards running the show on the fake right that's too busy embracing Rainbow Ramadan month. And we're left with this onslaught against our society of this most disgusting agenda. The assault on our bodies with every senior is now going to be convinced to get this death shot. Wherever you turn, we don't have a team on the field. Which is why no matter how compelling our case is for or against something, the policies won't change until we get some sort of political leadership to lead that fight. And I don't, I don't have easy answers to this. I really don't. I'm not sure what to do with it. But it's amazing how Pfizer could come out right in the open. Right in the open. In their own data. Their own data shows that it would take 16,000 doses to prevent 22 RSV cases in seniors. Remember, seniors already got it, so it's going to be mild. Doesn't No evidence even in their data that it prevents death, that there is death, because there is no RSV death among seniors. Meanwhile, the vaccine group had 22 more serious adverse events than the placebo. It had 14 more severe adverse events and three more deaths. So there's no evidence it prevented an RSV death, but in their own lying data, imagine a company that literally lied about everything from myocarditis to strokes to fetal maternal problems and menstrual bleeding, everything from A to Z, they could put out another more lying data, but even their lying trial, and by the way, Ventavia, that same company that that fabricated the entire uh, clinical trial for them, coordinated it, they also did this one. And they could show more all-cause mortality in the vaccine group. And I, I forget the amount of time, but it was a short follow-up time. One month, one month. It was. Uh, I'm looking at it now, table eight. One month follow-up, <laughs> okay? So that's, that's a big deal in one month to have three more deaths. You can imagine it gets worse over time. And also the negative efficacy kicks in over time, like we've learned with these respiratory viral vaccines. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a big deal. This will be given to every senior at a doctor's office, at a pharmacy, and then in short order, will go down the totem pole of the age-stratified approvals and eventually be placed on the child vaccination schedule. So we're going to talk about that with Dr. McCullough as well. We are nowhere closer to having Republicans focus on that. So let me just say the good news. Let me read to you a quote. This is from Olivia Beaver. She's the Politico White, uh, not White House, uh, Capitol Hill correspondent. Randy Weber, who's supposedly a Freedom Caucus member but never sides with the Freedom Caucus, he said he thought the debt deal was good, but that he and his wife were inundated back in their district. Well, I would like to think that people don't understand that this bill does actually move the ball forward. They're not getting it, and so they're saying don't vote for it. So if I listen to my constituency, I'll be voting no. So I always tell you guys, 
calling your congressman and organizing other people to do it, and certainly a state legislature, because you'll have more of a outside share impact, you'll be more impactful than, than even voting. So this, along with the boycotts, is starting. But imagine if we had the top 50 shows and voices doing what I do. So I would encourage you to still call your members. Look at the ones who voted for it. There are 71 um, really would have been 72. Lauren Boebert couldn't make it or something. Um, so on the one hand, there were 72 Republicans would have voted no. Only 40, 46 Democrats voted no. You saw Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader of the Democrats, working hand in glove with McCarthy. The Uniparty was on full display. Full display before our eyes. And by the way, 29 Republicans voted against the rule, so that forced him to come to Hakim and get Democrats to vote for the rule. And Axios is reporting that he promised them earmarks. He promised them favors to do it. So he sold us down the river to get Democrats to support such a horrible thing. There will only be a handful of Democrats voting against it in the Senate. And by the way, even the ones voting no, it's just kind of like, because it has so many provisions in it, so it's always easier to vote no. You don't want to be hit by your base for even cosmetically voting against something that could be portrayed as cutting welfare benefits. But it's not like even the AOC and Bernie Sanders types are hopping mad at it. It's on full display in front of your eyes. Whether it's vaccines, whether it's the transgender jihad, whether it's obviously the debt ceiling and the spending and the weaponization of government, this entire conservative movement and Republican Party is fake. What do we do about it? That is what I would challenge my colleagues with. What do we do about it? It's just unreal. Here is a clip of Donald Trump. He was finally asked on a Iowa radio show, what do you think about the debt ceiling deal? Take a listen here. It really is. There's a lot going on in our country, and there's a lot of things we need to discuss. Um, the debt ceiling has just passed. I think it's a horrible deal, but I don't know what you think. What do you think? Well, it is what it is. It was going to pass. Uh, they had plenty of votes, and, uh, and they will get it done permanently and properly. Uh, See here, it is what it is. It was going to pass. They had the votes. He sounded, he wasn't too interested in it, but if you look at his facial expressions in the video, because there's a video of it, this is how he governed. This is what he did when he was president. It's like, yeah, you know, that has the votes, let them do what they do. Yeah, okay, I'll sign whatever you, you give to me. The notion that this man has somehow changed and learned his lesson, if anything, he's gotten worse. Again, it is indefensible from any MAGA, America first, populist, conservative, any perspective to support this guy. It is indefensible. I'm sick of my colleagues like, I like them both. This like fake gay neutrality that they're putting on. You know what I mean? Give me a break. Take a freaking stand for once. No one's perfect, but between the two, it's night and day on every issue that matters. Give me a break. But that's where we are. Now anyway, obviously following this debt ceiling deal, I will tell you, we're going to have major problems with the dollar. With We're going to have a repo crisis from this like we did last time. They raised the debt ceiling. Now is the time to diversify with gold. Um, as they talk about fake diversity this month, 
Talk about financial diversity. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Daniel to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. You'll see their array of different silver and gold, precious metals, bullions. They'll deposit, having a safety deposit for you, a real nest egg of value. Um, And this way, you could either start a new IRA or convert your existing one. That's what Birch specializes in rather than putting it in the stock market, which is going to go to hell in a handbasket. So with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is what you can trust to protect your future, especially in times of the uniparty uh, debt betrayal. Text Daniel to 989898 today. So I want to get to our special guest today. A lot more on the table going on with the Rainbow Jihad, with the debt ceiling stuff. I want to... Um, get to, if not today, tomorrow. But I want to kind of zoom out for a little bit more of a of a generic discussion, but it's, it's just as important as the other things we've been talking about. So Dr. Peter McCullough doesn't need much of an introduction to this audience. He's obviously been a fixture in the medical freedom movement, um, notorious for fighting for early treatment, fighting for truth about the vaccines, fighting for informed consent, But one of the things I think we've all discovered throughout this fight is that COVID likely wasn't the first go-around of this mass psychosis among the medical profession where they will literally do what's antithetical to the Hippocratic Oath. And it certainly is not the last time, as we're seeing with the RSV shots, with the monkeypox shots, all of these rushed vaccines that are prima facie problematic, have a negative cost-benefit matrix, and they just get approved. But then there's other aspects of this. So we have a lot of these trends in civilization, and typically you'll have trends with physical health, mental health. Over time, people become sicker with certain illnesses, and there's often a reason for it. But then you have a scenario where, according to CDC, over a period of two years, the number of high schoolers who identify as transgender has tripled. Then you have every every major hospital and medical association promoting castration, mutilation, hormone this, cutting off breasts there. And you're thinking, what this can't this can't be true. And then we have all these trends with autism. We have all these trends with mental illness. Now you have to see what's connected, what's not. But Dr. McCullough has actually been working on a theory of medical malfeasance that runs much deeper than what we saw with COVID. And clearly it's deeper than just the COVID vaccine. There's problems with other vaccines that we've been lied to. But also their mentality with this transgenderism and what they're doing and not doing, and how much does that tie into mental illness? How much does that even tie into this mass violence? We talked about this School shootings, certainly they're not exclusively transgender, but we've seen a lot of it that's been covered up by the media. So Dr. McCullough has really branched out in terms of his research, his uh, thoughts. He has a terrific substack, Courageous Discourse. It's really a must-read every day in your inbox. You could follow him at P underscore McCullough MD on Twitter. Dr. McCullough, it's been way too long. Welcome back to Blaze Media. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for all your courage out there. I tell you what, you've been 
uh, a crusader for truth, and so many of us feel connected in this battle. Uh, I can tell you as a practicing internist and cardiologist, like any doctor now, uh, we are becoming very familiar with LGBT and with the T being transgender. Since the rise of transgenderism, it's actually in our medical practices now. So it's ubiquitous. So, so here's the thing. I thought, in my mind, I never looked for any medical, physical explanation. To me, it was very simple. We never had social media before this generation. And now you have the ability to make something ubiquitous. You can make a fad ubiquitous. For example, in three seconds, everyone could do something so unnatural as covering their breathing holes with masks You know, in the most absurd situations. You could have people obsessing about Ukraine that they couldn't even find on a map in three seconds. So you could have people, you could have a fad now with kids with rising mental illness. Here's here's a thing you're really, you know, you might not be a man after all. Maybe you're a woman. Maybe you're this. Um, if you tell people that it's cool to dress up like a cat and a dog on TikTok, there's no question you'd be able to gain a lot of traction with that over time. So to me, that explains a lot of it. But But you have a working theory that I wanted you to share with the audience a pandemic of mental contagion, autism, and the rise of transgenderism. Take it from there. You know, I asked the question, as an epidemiologist, are two exploding epidemics, are they related? And the two epidemics are the explosion of autism uh, when I was a kid, the rate of autism was 1 in 10,000. The CDC now says it's 1 in 36. There is no childhood illness that is more rapidly epidemic than autism, which is a severe disorder. It's a neuropsychiatric disorder. It forever influences that child the rest of their lives, family members. There's quite a spectrum of autism from uh, being severely disabled, unable to leave the house, uh, you know, needing full-time 24 by 7 care to uh, to being mainstreamed, but with what's called autism spectrum disorder, where there's some features of it, but child is able to go to school and then ultimately enter society independently. And the other epidemic, as you mentioned, is transgenderism. And uh, while there have always been um, homosexual males who uh, – want to dress as a woman. That was relatively rare among homosexual males. And there were always women who may have tendencies towards men. Uh, what has really evolved, almost it seems like in the last you know, year or so, is an absolute explosion of transgenderism to the point of it influencing uh, marketing, uh, various brand trends, et cetera. So uh, I asked the question, could autism be related to transgenderism? And sure enough, Vander Meesen and colleagues published about 10 years ago from the Netherlands an observation that 20% of young people in Dutch transgender clinics had a clinical diagnosis of autism, 20%. And so there's a giant spectrum beyond those with clinical autism called autism spectrum disorder. And so it I said, oh, my Lord, uh, this is uh, an incredible overlap. And then studies started to hit one after uh, another one. Uh, this um, uh, paper by Warrior and colleagues uh, I, I thought was uh, very important. And uh, what they uh, demonstrated 
was that, um, uh, and let me get the exact citation for you, Warrior and Colleagues, which was published in Nature Communications, a really high-level mm. journal, analyzed 641,860 individuals with gender dysphoria. Whew. So that, so gender dysphoria is the clinical uh, diagnosis for which transgender hormones and surgeries are prescribed. And they assess people with gender disorder for autistic tendencies with some standardized scores. And there was um, about uh, four different, uh, I'm sorry, about um, five different transgender scores used. And guess what? Those with gender dysphoria are off the Richter scale testing out for autism. Wow. So and, it's, and, it's not that yeah, everyone... Who has this gender dysphoria is necessarily autistic, but a good number of them um, are. A good number of them seem very, to be right. Very large overlap, and then uh, uh, more data started to come in, which was, uh, I think, very, very uh, disturbing. So a paper was published by um, by Mendez and colleagues, and it was a literature review describing. 2,921 murders, murders where an LGBT person was the victim. This is in the peer-reviewed literature. This is absolutely stunning, 16 papers in total. And in general, it, the perpetrator is generally a male, the victim is generally a male, and about 40% of the time they knew each other. Uh, and, and so that paper uh, was out there. Uh, and then to, to really bring it home, uh, was a, um, uh, a paper of mortality. And this just hit the mainstream, mainstream. This was in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association. First author is Sarah Jackson. Title of the paper is Analysis of Mortality Among Transgender and Gender Diverse Adults in England. And this is uh, alarming. Suicide, homicide, death from accidental poisoning, um, many-fold higher in transgender compared to normal men or normal women. Uh, so mortality is higher. And again, that was you know published in a very high level journal. And the burden of psychiatric care is much higher after the transgender procedure. So, uh, so this paper was published by Heisel Gorman and colleagues from um, the Uniform Services University in Bethesda Title the paper Mental Healthcare Utilization of Transgender Youth Before and After Gender Affirming Treatment. So to actually take the hormones and surgery worsens the psychiatric problem. And so finally, I think the coup de grace on this, Daniel, you, you're going to be astounded by this. Uh, because states are moving forward with legislation to ban hormones and surgery in the youth, so, so to ban this. You know, nobody has a problem in adulthood if someone wants to, whatever they want to do in adulthood. But during childhood, to ban this with this idea that, you know, autistic children, in a sense, are being preyed upon by this transgender uh, industry. Um, but so because this legislation came out, I was astounded to uh, realize this. And I posted this on May 4th, that the the Autism uh, Self-Advocacy Network, ASAN, condemns restrictions on gender affirming <laughs> care. They, they came out with a statement on this. So this is an advocacy network. These are largely adults with autism or other concerned individuals. And so it's basically saying the autistic people want 
gender change. So, um, you know, this brings it full circle here. I, I think it's conclusive that, that uh, transgenderism is driven by the epidemic of autism. The autistic people want this. And the question on the table is, uh, should it continue because it increases the burden of psychiatric disease and increases mortality? So obviously increasing mortality, you know, when someone is this severely mentally ill, they're going to be prone to uh, suicide and things like that. And certainly when you start screwing with the hormones, um, obviously you have the concurrent rise in general mental illness, depression. To me, it's not a surprise that this same hockey stick that you're seeing the last few years with the rise of people saying I'm the opposite gender suddenly, you also have just the explosion of you know 25-30% rates of clinical depression among, among teenagers, um, just just a, a a perfect storm. Obviously, the lockdowns you know certainly aggravated that. All going on, but you you referenced another extra point there that you brought up in the wake of that uh, you know shooting in Nashville of that Christian school by this this female who said she was a, really a male, and you have this theory about hormones, this hormone treatment creating. And this undercurrent of violence that has not been noted. Could you be? Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, you know, as I pointed out, the Mendes study shows that LGBT are the victims of homicides in a large number, but the the Jackson analysis that was in JAMA points out that both suicide and homicide are causes of death in these individuals. And some of these suicides occur uh, in the context of mass murders. And we just need the case example now, and I think we're close to half a dozen or more, of transgender individuals, young ones, actually becoming the perpetrator mm. in a mass murder, in the case you, you pointed out. And, and so there, uh, remember autism is a neuropsychiatric illness, meaning there's neurological and psychiatric aspects to it. And there are certainly outbursts of anger or inability to control various, um, you know, uh, emotional states. Now add into this hormones, particularly the post-pubertal hormones, which are straight androgens or estrogens, you know, that makes even normal people irritable. So you can imagine having the neuropsychiatric disorder or some other related disorder and then hormonal manipulation creating this situation where, you know, it's sad for everyone uh, because in these mass murders, many times the perpetrator loses their life as well. And this, uh, I think the Jackson analysis is so disturbing that, you know, it increases mortality all the way around. It, it, it honestly, if there was another surgery or hormones that were increasing mortality, they'd be taken off the market. So, so you're saying we have an autism bubble that no one denies you have a broad mental illness skyrocketing across the spectrum. And then we have this rise in violence. Okay, we have this rise in, you know, these mass shootings. Now, obviously, you know, you take this whole gender dysphoria out of it. You still have, there's clearly this culture of violence. Um, we could just talk about the way our youth are raised and just this lack of wholesome life. There's so much to say on that. But but you rightly noted it is covered up by the media. There is a growing percentage of these cases that actually are 
from from a gender dysphoric I- individual and more than we think. So you're saying you take a 15-year-old girl, a 17-year-old girl and you and and especially if they're already autistic, I don't know if that was the case in Tennessee, and then you juice them up with hormones, well what happens? Yeah, it's not it's certainly not good. Uh, the Jackson analysis, again, JAMA Open Network, January 30th of 2023. So it's pretty recent data. Uh, let, let's just take compared to normal women. Just use the example of the, I believe it was Nashville, where it was a, a transgender woman, a girl who wanted to be a man. Um, you, you know, the, the risk there is the um, relative risk was 5.62 greater risk of suicide or homicide. And the confidence intervals were 2.65 to 11.91. That's highly statistically significant. It's very hard in the psychiatric literature to ever achieve statistical significance. So these are striking results. And uh, the fact that they're coming out in the peer-reviewed scientific literature, where, 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 you know, in general, medicine doesn't have uh, an opinion on people's choice. Medicine is a very diverse, uh, you know, always have had equity, inclusion. Uh, people make their own choices. As a doctor, you know, I take care of drug abusers. Well, I take COVID. care of. If, if you didn't get the shot, yeah, then, no, I, I take care, then they weren't so diverse. I know, but listen, you know, listen, I take care of drug abusers. I take care of prisoners. I take care of people of all walks of life, homosexuals, heterosexuals, bisexuals. I mean, that's just medicine. We see people of all walks of life, and I don't think anybody has any problem with someone's choice. However, when when physicians are prescribing the hormones and doing the surgery, and the result is a transgendered person, and the result shows that there is harm, it has to be stopped. It just has to be. You know, it took with it from the time we knew smoking caused lung cancer. It took doctors 40 years to ultimately come around to it. Doctors used to smoke. They smoked in the operating room. From the time we knew the opioids were addictive and could be um, life-threatening, it's taken over 20 years to get this opioid uh, pandemic under control. It's largely prescription opioids that doctors prescribe. Doctors are not quick to recognize systematic errors in delivery of care. And this one, this one, I think, is going to be shut down, honestly, uh, before the the doctors shut it down themselves. There was a recent uh, paper in New England Journal of Medicine uh, highlighting the fact that there will be severe penalties for programs that continue. This paper is published by Mallory and colleagues, and it was in JAMA, May 18th, 2023. And uh, they indicated that, boy, states have legislation all over the place moving forward. There is going to be uh, uh, bans on care uh, with uh, clear legislative traction, uh, and it highlights everything that's going to happen. The states include um, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, and Texas, uh, 118 bills across 31 states total. They're all going to move forward. 11 bills have been passed into law. Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and West Virginia. Florida also passed. It's probably a little old. Yeah, and listen to this. Yeah, Daniel, listen to this. 
15 states have laws and policies that ban gender-affirming care for minors with the stipulations of state bans. Physicians who continue to face four major direct penalties, one, medical license disciplinary action, two, private right of legal action against physicians, which can include extensions on malpractice and statutes and limitations, three, civil actions against the, the states can take against physicians, and four, felonies, felony provisions. This was in New England Journal of Medicine. Wow. No, I mean, that is definitely something, I think, because it's just so jarring cutting someone's genitalia off. It it doesn't take a doctor to understand how systemically damaging that is. But I think this is a good way to transition into the second half, and really we need a whole show just for this. But you mentioned something very profound, that it takes generations for the medical profession to correct an error. And let's talk about what could be the greatest lie of the century – I think you and I are in the same boat. You as a, a famed cardiologist published in so much so much medical literature and me as a layman, where you know, we kind of never questioned it. We vac- we were born with with the notion that there's vaccines and okay, this vaccine, that vaccine, all right, you know, you just kind of put it in the body and it stimulates an antibody response and okay, you know, everyone's happy, you're now immune, and never really thought about it. And then, you know, I heard people over the years saying, well, you know, vaccines cause autism, like, that's crazy. Of course, it's debunked, it's debunked. And I I thought that really up until um, COVID, and then even when the vaccine, the COVID shots started coming out, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is poison, I had this cognitive dissonance, yeah, this thing is really, I mean, this is like a bioweapon, but everything else is amazing. But then as 2021 went on and I had people like you and Dr. Cole and all these other people on and we started learning immunology and epidemiology in real time so we're able to really learn these things. I was like, wait a minute. I'm learning a lot about antibodies. They're not all good. There's God made the right type and the right amount and the right classification and the right location. I'm like, well, wait a minute. The stuff we're seeing about the IgG4 and the tolerating rather than neutralizing and the autoantibodies – and all these syndri- um, autoimmune syndromes we see in VARES, I'm thinking, wait a minute. What's with all these other respiratory viral vaccines and even other vaccines that are ever-increasing? And then to bring the show kind of full circle, we have this explosion of autism, which like, you know, could come from neurological inflammation, which we certainly see this crosses the blood-brain barrier. We see the explosion of the allergies. I'm, I'm a lot younger than you, Dr. McCullough, but still we never had peanut allergy issues when I was in school. It started like abruptly shortly after my time as, as a school-age kid. You have all these allergies, all these autoimmune, the, the colitis and the, the, um, all these stomach auto, autoimmune stuff exploding, and, and there's no good explanation. Here's the question for you. Is it, does it take Sherlock Holmes to figure out that taking a kid and just shoving an ever-increasing amount of uncontrolled antibody spikes might be problematic for some people? You know, when I was a kid, we had the oral polio and we had uh, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, and smallpox. So basically vaccinated against uh, five things. Now, it turns out that diphtheria and pertussis are easily treated with a Z-pack. If we would have had azithromycin back then, we wouldn't have needed that. And then tetanus is largely managed with wound care 
there is neonatal um, tetanus, but that occurs before the, the you know the, the baby has a chance to uh, defend against it. So a maternal vaccination is thought to handle that. And then of course polio, which which could could be devastating. That's pretty much what we had. And uh, as I mentioned, the rate of autism one in ten thousand. Now today, a child today receives seventy two shots, seventy two different shots. That's before SARS CoV two, the COVID shots, which add a lot more because they're every six months. So I think it's up over a hundred, and about sixteen different diseases, with new ones being added all the time. Uh, including recently the respiratory syncytial virus. So it's causing all of us to re-review the data. So here's just one paper, just one paper. Geyer and Geyer published from an early paper from the VAERS system. This is long before COVID. It's published in 2002. The title of the paper is An Analysis of the Occurrence of Convulsions and Death After Childhood Vaccination. So convulsions and death. So we we you know we're not even talking about autism. We're just talking about something that occurs immediately with these shots. And what they found is that the more shots that are given together, mm. so diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus together, as opposed to separate shots, uh, markedly increases the risk. And uh, and and then the time at which these occur is strongly related uh, to, you know, the outcome. So if they happen closer and closer to um, the time of vaccination, the relative risks are um, become even higher in terms of uh, association, like 60, a relative risk of 62, which is, which is uh, through the roof. And what, what the Geyer and Geyer is, is saying is basically Listen, this is this is real. There are kids who who die, and in this analysis, the sadly, uh, there were, um, as I recall, I believe there was, um, I believe there was over a thousand deaths. So you know, this occurred over a long period of time. But um, you know, we have a situation where uh, papers like this have been published in the literature. There's about eighty papers or so publishing in the literature, suggesting vaccines could be related to autism. What's most convincing are the vignette papers. So the vignette is uh, there's a normal child, comes in, gets uh, six different vaccines at once, six different antigens at once, has a febrile seizure, doesn't die, but then from that point forward, the child is autistic. And there are many of those vignettes published. You go on social media and mothers will tell you that all the time. And I think what's How convincing about those... Because you're usually talking about a kid a few months old. So you don't have much of a baseline well, to go it, off it, of. But the mothers do. Mm. The mother, the, the eye tracking is different. The breastfeeding becomes different. Suckling, uh, response to the environment. A, and the mothers believe they can tell, that they can tell uh, a difference. And then on top of that, we have a growing literature, which is very interesting about going natural. Going natural meaning that there are parents who say, listen, we're, we're not going to take any shots. Now, interestingly, uh, the parents who decide to go natural tend to be older and they tend to have another child with autism. 
So when the next one comes, they're a bit worried. It, it turns out those are the two risk factors for autism, older adults and siblings with autism. So here we have a child that who's already predisposed to autism. And I can tell you in all the studies done so far, going natural, that is getting no vaccines, has a much lower rate of autism and neuropsychiatric disorders, uh, asthma, uh, allergic dermatitis, need for tympanostomy tubes, uh, pharyngitis. It's it's clear that natural is better. There's multiple studies. Uh, Paul Thomas published uh, one. Hooker and Miller published another. Multiple pediatric practices. You know, and looking at this concept. So in my analysis is so far, I, you'll see a bunch of these come out of my Substack. I don't think it's any particular vaccine. That is the smoking gun for autism, but it looks like the process of hyper vaccination. Mm. That is, it's the multiplicity, and it's the multiplicity of antigenic exposures with the right susceptibility. The cytokines are the inflammatory mediators that that you know quickly rise. They penetrate the blood-brain barrier quickly. Some of them are neurotoxic, and they look like they forever change some of these kids to becoming and, like and autistic it took COVID. kids. Where it was all at once, like like Aaron Siri always says, that you know with the kids, it's a it's gradual, and b generally they're given to babies, and you have so many people that either the person themselves say, you know, I just don't feel right, I just haven't felt right since I got the shots, or their relatives are like, is that guy okay? Either physically, and I know you've written a lot about this. There's um, our friend Aaron has put together like 29 case studies on um, psychosis from the COVID shots. But but with the traditional kind of childhood schedule shots, you can't really the, the kid can't articulate that, and it's not as apparent. But now that we understand the mechanism, I'm thinking like, yeah, I mean, you got all that inflammation from the overstimulation of the immune system, and now that I understand the relationship between that and pathogens, but also cancers, autoimmune allergy response, and then yes, the neurological, which we see all over theirs. Um, and all over the case studies. So here's my concern. I don't, Dr. McCullough, I don't understand how this is not the biggest public policy issue. This affects every human being. I got four kids. Um, unfortunately, we're already over most of the hump, but but we're running around from one pediatrician to another. And when we think we found a good one, they, they harass the heck out of you, make you feel like you're a dirtbag um, for questioning it. Um, you're stupid. It's all good. Any make, any manufacturer, any amount. Um, but the more I study, I look back even to things that I thought were like gospel. I mean, like the pertussis one. And by the way, now they're they're loading it on pregnant women more than ever because in 2016 they expanded the uh, indemnification to uh, shots used during pregnancy. So there's a torrent of them, and they even pressure the the husband to often get another. Uh, DPT for pertussis, and I look at the data and I see more negative efficacy, like we saw with COVID. I see immune suppression. We see with a lot of the flu shots, the T cells tamping down. There's been tons of studies over the last 15 years on that that we never noticed, um, which make a lot of sense. We see a lack of rationale. We see a lack of all-cause mortality benefit. And, 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 you know, to be fair, I was always saying, oh, the COVID shots, we never did anything like that. It's rushed. And the manufacturers were like, 
we've never had bigger trials than ever. And they were actually right. They were fraudulent, but they were bigger. I look at, like, Hib and some of this stuff, and or Hepi. I mean, they had, like, a few-day follow-up with this stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, hepatitis B is the is I think the most egregious, giving it on the first day of life, uh, the registrational trials uh, were just a, a few hundred children and there was only five days of follow-up. And, and the only clinical indication where as a doctor, I would say a child needs, a, a newborn child needs it is, is with a mother who has active hepatitis B mm. who is actively IV drug abusing, which is very rare. But for every baby born uh, to be blasted with the hepatitis B shot on the day of birth is is simply overkill. You know, a paper is going to come out of my Substack regarding Haemophilus influenza B, which, by the way, there's almost no disease that's had a greater reduction coincident with the uh, with the introduction of vaccines as Haemophilus influenza B. It's a it's a um, bacteria, a, a, a encapsulated bacteria introduced in 1985, and the rates of invasive disease plummeted. But I asked the question, do people still get the illness and does the vaccine really protect them? And a paper by suitors and colleagues from uh, the CDC published in 2018 summarized it. Now remember the vaccine only stops Haemophilus influenza serotype B. It doesn't stop any of the other serotypes. It turns out that only uh, 1.8% of all Haemophilus is serotype B. And of those, uh, there were 77 cases reported. It turns out that 73.9% uh, of people who got them were either fully vaccinated or partially vaccinated. They were following the vaccine schedule. So, you, you know, while it may have had a broad public health impact, um, you know, we can't look at somebody in the eye and tell them they're protected here when the majority of people who get the disease, you know, are vaccinated. I used to think this stuff was like a coat of iron. I, I you know, the vaccine was synonymous with a cure. And the more we look at things, you know, this concept of a leaky waning efficacy, it's pretty ubiquitous. It might have been really egregious with this one and particularly respiratory viral ones are never really successful. But you look at a lot of these mumps and measles outbreaks. We've seen it. We've seen it. Obviously, the monkeypox is a joke. Uh, that recent cluster in Chicago, I believe, was it 9 out of 12 or something like that, were, you know, just got the two doses of Janios. Um, th this whole thing we've been lied to. And then also just the rationale. A lot of people say, are you anti-vax or pro-vax? And to me, it's like saying, are you pro-surgery? Are you pro-chemotherapy? Well, you know, I mean, rarely is something good for all people at all times. I think of something like German measles. I, I never even realized this, that German measles, really aside from pregnant women, you know, giving birth to a fetus and potentially uh, being problematic to a fetus, no man should ever get this. I mean, before you even look at safety and efficacy, just the rationale for it, um, isn't, isn't that true that a lot of this stuff is not necessary for everyone? It, it's true that uh, I remember as a kid that uh, German measles also known as rubella. They had a big push for rubella vaccination. Well, it's compelling for women as they enter the childbearing years. We used to have 20,000 cases of congenital rubella. Now we're down to like two cases a year. So the vaccine is very effective. 
uh, but it should only be restricted for women as they enter the childbearing years. There's no reason for a boy to even take the rubella. So that's MMR. That's actually the R in MMR. Uh, measles is a non-threatening illness. You know, mumps is worth a discussion. There is mumps, orchitis, and sterilization that can happen in boys, but doesn't happen in girls. Uh, you know, we have to look at each one. I, I think what's going to happen is, you know, 72 vaccine shots plus COVID. They're, they're just getting started. It's too much. They're just getting started. I but mean, yeah, you've got Nipa and Zika and I mean, they have everything in the pipeline. Um, and obviously the RSV thing really scares me because that was the original ADE shot with negative efficacy and and even Fauci just published a couple months ago admitting that the respiratory viral vaccines are, are all leaky, that they don't, just don't don't address the mucosal. Well, and and they're just there's no yeah. backstop. Well, Daniel, let me say that I can tell you as a doctor, um, we're going to need to do risk stratification. So respiratory syncytial virus in you, me, our kids and our grandparents is nothing. It's honestly like a cold. At most, we have to do a nebulizer. But RSV in a kid with cystic fibrosis could be severe. Um, so we're going to need to do risk stratification. Some people need vaccines, but not everybody needs a routine schedule. I think what needs to go away is the routine schedule. Yes. And vaccines need to be given according to risk stratification. There needs to be a medical necessity and a clinical indication. Uh, but this idea that you either you're either in or you're out, and parents being made to feel uncomfortable by pediatricians, that needs to go away because right now it's too much, and we need to do risk stratification. This is what I fear. But you know, getting back to the beginning of our discussion with the with the castration stuff, it's just so, I guess, <laughs> evident um, the draconian nature of it. So it has drawn sharp backlash that has spread not just from the people but actually to the political representatives at least in you know the so-called red states but i look at what the second half of our discussion here and forget about the other shots i mean those are sacred when, whenever we try to address them in legislation um and, and, and when i'm talking about just the mandates mandating them it was a non-starter in every state but even the covet shots despite Everything that has come out about it, it's self-evident, negative efficacy, it attacks every organ system, every corner of the body, potentially. There's only, to my knowledge, one state where the health department is putting out informed consent. You know, Dr. Joe Latipo in Florida putting out information, warning about the risks. Um, and, and while most people still aren't getting it at this point, they're onto it. But if a woman becomes pregnant, that's kind of a status change. The OBGs are pressuring them. And I'm thinking, here, here's the thing. Certain things are, like you said, a concern for newborns. RSV is a concern. Um, rubella is a concern. But what's going to happen now that you take a pregnant woman? We all know the European Medicines Agency documents seem to show that Pfizer knew about um, the the intervention spreading through the placenta you take a woman and now you give them flu rsv covid another mmr another dpt and who know and who knows what else what does that portend for the fetus no one can know i mean any injection that a mother takes is risky um i would say this 
that anything that can cause a fever in a mother, that just put that alone, a fever, a fever in a mother can cause precipitous delivery of the baby. It can actually cause a miscarriage or a stillbirth. It's too risky. So the benefit of any of these shots in women is far outweighed by the risk of losing the baby. And, and so many mothers are going to decide to go natural in pregnancy because it just makes a lot of sense. And a recent Kaiser Family Foundation survey suggests parents are in a much higher proportion going to go natural on the childhood vaccine schedule and decide later on, you know, there may be compelling the kids go to college to get the meningococcal vaccine. It may be compelling if they go into healthcare to get hepatitis B vaccine. And they're going to basically opt to go natural because they've lost trust in the CDC ACIP group because of this hyper vaccination, uh, adding COVID, and they don't seem to show any concern over safety. No, that's what scares me because you want to tell me, hey, there's some risk, whatever. I, that's believable. But when you start saying everything is good for everyone and needed at all times, there's just something funny there. Final question here. If, if I make you king for a day, what is the one policy change that you feel could bring out the truth and upend this entire racket? I think the big policy change uh, that would uh, happen immediately is we would outlaw any mandates associated with vaccines, any. So any at the school level, uh, K through 12, college, for any vaccine, routine vaccines, COVID-19. And so if vaccines became completely elective, then we can let them you know, stand on their own merits and the evolving data. What makes everybody uncomfortable is a mandate. And also the the indemnification, I think, is the big one. Um, every day you see Honda, you know, recalling different airbags because they're on the hook for liability. And often you wonder how dubious those recalls are. Whereas with, with this, I mean, it's an all-you-could-eat buffet. And there is no incentive for them to make this stuff safer I mean, I'm just looking with my mouth open, watching these ASIP and Verbach uh, hearings, and they'll openly admit that, yeah, we don't know if there's all-cause mortality benefit. We don't really see seniors getting sick from RSV, so we can't tell. Yeah, there's a signal for Guillain-Barre. Yeah, someone died in the um, you know GSK-Pfizer trial, or GSK-RSV uh, trial, and the Pfizer shot is pretty similar but we'll approve that anyway. And it's like nothing seems to ever matter. What is it going to take? Is it, does it have to start from the medical profession? Does it have to start from the political realm? Does it have to start from parenting? I just, I, I feel like there is more well, of an awakening because I'm, I'm an example of that. Well, let me, let me respond to what you said. What makes people uncomfortable is a mandate they feel like they have to take it for some reason to go to school, go to work. And then if they take it, if they're harmed, there's no recourse. There's no liability. There, uh, you know, there's, there's indemnification of the manufacturer. So I say if the mandates go first, if, you know, we can't mandate that you swallow a pill or mandate you have a surgery. We certainly can't mandate that someone takes a vaccine. If the mandates drop, and even if the liability protection is still there, then people can make a choice. 
And people can say, listen, if 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 if, if there's there's no uh, liability, you know, if there's no recourse, if something happens, I'm I'm probably not going to take it. It'd be similar to uh, renting a pair of skis. You may say, "Listen, you know, you rent the, the ski rental. You know, there's no there's no liability for the guy who makes the skis that uh, you know he may not ski. Uh, so people can make their own choices. Now, the 1986 liability legislation said the vaccines have unavoidable harm, and that's the reason why they have to have liability protection for the manufacturers because no one would take them, and the vaccine manufacturers wouldn't make provide them." because they have unavoidable harms. But we have to address that. That's really the, the elephant in the room, is the harms. And one of the ways to make large numbers of people harmed go away is to have fewer number of people take the product. There, there has to be targeted protection for people at risk. No, absolutely, and there has to be an honest discussion of what those risks are of the shots themselves. Boy, we've come full circle. This has been very enlightening. Uh, folks, you could still get The Courage to Face COVID-19, Dr. McCullough's book with John Lee, Courageous Discourse on Substack. And again, you could follow him at P underscore McCullough MD on Twitter. Uh, let's do this more often. Very enlightening. And thanks so much for joining us today. Good review. Thanks for having me. Oh, boy, was there a lot to digest there. Mental illness, autism, transgenderism leading to violence. And then what causes autism? or at least turbocharges it. When you look at the depth of what these bastards have done to us, I mean, we used to think evil was Iran, Al-Qaeda, North Korea, even China. What the Western cabal has done to us, and for longer than we probably are willing to recognize, it is truly unconscionable, and it really is the legacy of the Third Reich. It's the Fourth Reich, Again, they were very sciencey and you know, medicine and science and cultured and advanced. Beware of evil embodied through a suit rather than a primitive uniform, because those are the worst people imaginable. We need a full commission auditing everything we're doing. It's funny, like, you know, Kevin McCarthy said he, he wants to have a debt commission. It's like we don't we don't need a commission on that. You see prima facie what government does that's wrong and right. This stuff is more complicated. We need a commission auditing vaccination, mass vaccination, each one individually, the rationale, the safety, the efficacy, the um, confluence of multiple shots together. We need to start from scratch on this. We need an honest discussion. The tranny stuff is pretty pretty obvious. Um, to cut someone's balls off ain't healthy. So I don't think uh, we need to convince people on that. But we do need to fight it in the culture, and we will do as this rainbow Ramadan month proceeds. Again, let me know your feedback on this show, questions, comments, concerns for Dr. McCullough. Uh, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, at rmconservative on Twitter. And you can follow my columns, uh, as always, at conservativereview.com and The Blaze. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes if you haven't. It will help us surge past the noise. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 